In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Respected brothers, sisters, viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. <coughs> and welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. We began discussing a new subheading in our theme of knowledge and reason in Islam. And this has to do with the topic of the community of knowledge. After a general introduction to this topic, in which we basically said that in our religion, there's a lot of importance given to the collective dimension so that not only the individual dimension of a human being is taken into consideration but that as a collective as a society or as a community Islam considered this to be an entity by itself with responsibilities <clears throat> with characteristics, responsibilities, and a judgment that awaits it in the afterlife, and that these communities are of different orders of magnitude, and they may be brought together. What is common to them is perhaps a belief system, but beyond that, it may also be geographical location, family ties, uh, time, uh, or the temporal dimension, such as, you know, we happen to exist at the same time now, as opposed to people who lived 10 centuries ago, for instance. And so in this way, we find different communities, people who are brought together by various circumstances of this life. And whether we like it or not, whether we are aware of it or not, we belong to a community. And therefore, our religion says, that there are responsibilities associated with belonging to such a community. And we went through a number of verses of the Holy Quran to establish this reality, this foundational truth in our religion, that we shall be not only in this world, we are a community, but we shall also be judged as a community in the afterlife. We are not only going to be judged as individuals, we are also going to be judged as a collective, as a community, as a member of something much greater than our individual entity. One of the verses that we looked at was from Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, 110, a famous verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرَجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are the best of communities brought forth for humankind. You command or enjoin what is good, you forbid what is wrong, and you believe in God. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not talking to each one of us individually, He's talking to all of us taken together as a whole, as a community. And we saw the different interpretations and the main points related to this with the highlight being that we can only be the best of communities brought forth to humankind 
if we meet the conditions mentioned in this verse, which are to enjoin good, to forbid evil, and to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we talked a little bit about chapter 103 of the Quran, Surah Al-Asr, which perhaps all of us know very well by heart, but we saw that there are great meanings and great truths hidden in this chapter of the Quran to the point where many of the commentators have clearly stated that this is an entire program to live by as an individual and as a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by Al-Asr, which may be the time of day, late afternoon, or it may be many other things related to the passage of time itself. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by something like the passage of time, there's a meaning for that. There's a link between what he is swearing by and the answer of that swear, which is the human being as a species by nature is doomed to loss. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Certainly, surely, the human being is doomed to loss, is in loss. And then there is only one exception. One category of people, the Quran says, amanu, except those who, and four conditions are mentioned, amanu, So belief, and then they do good. And we said here these are general. What's distinctive are the next two, which are not individual actions anymore. They are collective ones. You cannot meet the conditions mentioned in three and four. On your own. It's impossible. means that there are at least two parties, if not more, and that they are urging each other, recommending to each other, commanding each other towards the truth and commanding or urging each other towards patience. And we talked a little bit about the meaning of that, but clearly here there is another indication where the Holy Quran is talking to us as a community and giving us some of the characteristics of this community. To belong to this community, we need to meet these four conditions. And two of them are clearly or have clearly a social dimension to them. When I urge others and others urge me, when I recommend and encourage others and others recommend to me and encourage me towards truth and towards patience. The third verse that we looked at was from Surat Al-Jathiyah, chapter 45. We looked at the series of three verses, 27, 28, 29. And we said that, in fact, this chapter of the Holy Quran, Al-Jathiyah, is called Al-Jathiyah specifically because of verse 28. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse says, On the day that the hour rises, وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ إِذِنْ يَخْصَرُ الْمُبْطِلُونَ Those who were making false claims will have lost. And then, وَتَرَى كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ جَاثِيَةٍ And then you will see every community down on its knees. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining to us one of the scenes of the day of resurrection, the day of judgment. In one of those scenes, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, every single community is going to be on its knees, imploring, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? The Quran continues, وَتَرَى كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ جَاثِيَةٍ كُلُّ أُمَّةٍ تُدْعَى إِلَىٰ كِتَابِهَا Every community is going to be called to its book. We may say that the book is, for instance, the Holy Quran, or whatever scripture Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala believed uh, sent to that community to believe in. But then the Quran continues with the book and we see that this is not the book that is being referred to in the verse. We're not being called to the scripture that was sent to us as a community. We are being called to the book that recorded all of our actions as a community. How did we behave? What were our attitudes? What were our values? What were our priorities? And this is not any longer at the individual level. This is now as a community. How did we act? This is a different book than the one mentioned elsewhere in the Quran, which says, Iqra kitabak. Each one of us is going to have our own book to look at and to read, and that will be used as a witness against us. There's an individual book. Here the Quran says, every community is going to be called to its book. On that day, you will be recompensed. Every community is going to be told. You're going to be rewarded for what you used to do. This is our book speaking against you in truth. Truly, we were recording everything that you were doing or that you used to do. Basically, literally today, we would use the same word to say making photocopies. We were photocopying. We're making copies of everything you were saying and doing to keep it as a record to show you in the afterlife, to call you to it, to use it in your judgment. We were recording everything that you were doing as a community, not as individuals. This is different. So here the idea was simply to establish that the Holy Quran and in our religion, these are a few highlights from the verses of the Quran that talk about this reality, that in our religion there is a lot of importance given not only to the individual dimension, but also to the collective and to the community, that we are a member of a community. Beyond that, when we look at some of these verses, it may appear that perhaps the notion of community is simply that we belong to this great community of the Holy Prophet the great Ummah, for instance, the Ummah of all the believers, or Ummah of the believers specifically in the Holy Prophet There is such a community, for sure, and it is mentioned in some of the verses of the Qur'an, in many of the narrations. That is a community. But when we go through the verses of the Qur'an, when we go through the narrations, we see that there's also the notion of the community within the community. So within that greater community, there are smaller communities. Many, many, many smaller communities. And each one of these is bringing people together based on some sort of common thread. Something is bringing these people together as a community. And here we get to choose, in a lot of ways, some of the communities we may belong to. And we saw already in the Holy Quran, in the narrations, I'm not going to repeat everything that we said. The strict minimum is to say the shahada and, and to enter into the community of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the greater ummah, the greater community. But within that, there are, for instance, the community of those who truly fast, those who truly pray, those who 
struggle in the way of God. Those who are carriers of the Qur'an, Hamalatul Qur'an, this is a community. You may decide to belong to that community through your actions. This is completely a voluntary basis. Right? And we saw many, many others in the Qur'an. It talks about Al-Abrar. It talks about Al-Muqarrabin. It talks about Al-Mukhbitin. When you go through the narrations, they clearly distinguish between the different, we may consider these to be simply traits. The Holy Quran says, these people are khashi'in, these people are dhakirin, these people are sabirin. But then you go in the narrations and they tell you, no, these are specific groups of people that met certain conditions. These are not just traits. To belong to that community of people that are referred to as sabirin, you have to meet certain conditions. Sa'imin, you have to meet certain conditions, and so on and so forth. And so here for us, we want to see around this notion of knowledge that we have been looking at, can we also come up with the same idea to establish a community based on knowledge, a community where knowledge is prioritized and valued in the way that we saw when we spoke about the learner and we spoke about the teacher and the importance of knowledge and reason in our religion and so on and so forth. So until now, as we said, we have clearly established that our religion makes it very clear that the collective or communal dimension is there and it's very important and that we do have communities within communities. So now we want to start moving directly towards communities of knowledge specifically. This is a community within the greater community of Islam. And then, of course, we can talk about all of this as a, at a very theoretical, foundational, abstract level. Of course, the discussion is supposed to be about being a very practical level in our own communities in which we live. To what extent do we meet and match this description? And to what extent should we be trying to make changes so that we meet and match these descriptions. And what would be the benefits? What are the dangers and risks associated with not meeting, with not becoming a community of knowledge? And what would be the benefits? And who would belong to that community? Is it people within the community who become the knowledge community? Or perhaps, as we will see inshallah, Everyone in the community has to have a very specific role and place and become a member of that community because there's no other alternative and no other choice. So inshallah, we have explained the community within the community. We're moving towards community of knowledge. Who will be participating in that? I don't think that we will get to that today, but inshallah, if we do, we will then start to talk about some of the ways practically of moving towards that with a few highlights to keep it very practical what are the main ways to create that community what are the general attitudes and characteristics of that community what is required for that community we may have a different discussion i'll see whether we incorporate it there or maybe towards the end of the discussion on the community which won't be too long i promise you just a few lectures there's a whole discussion that we can have looking at Islamic history around this notion of communities of knowledge and how Muslims in general throughout history have looked at this and what they have done and where did things go wrong perhaps at some point in history. 
and who else belongs to these communities beyond what we will say today, especially as it relates to one specific category of people that will be maybe based on interest and how far we want to take the discussion, but that whole notion of the intellectual, which plays a very crucial role in the idea of building communities of knowledge or societies of knowledge, what is the role and place of an intellectual in such communities, an Islamic community of knowledge? In any case, we'll see how far we get into that discussion. So to continue with the idea of a community of knowledge within the greater community, next we look at this chapter, chapter 3, verse 104. Surah Al-Imran, verse 104. This is a very famous verse once again. That many people know. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Waltakum minkum ummah yad'oona ila al-khayr wa ya'muruna bil-ma'roof wa yanhawna anil munkar wa ula'ika humul muflihoon. And let there be among you a community calling to the good, enjoining the right, forbidding the wrong, and surely it is they who will be prosperous or victorious or the winners. So already just looking at that verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to the believers in general. And he's telling the believers, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّهِ We would believe, we would suppose that all the believers taken together are the ummah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing all of the believers. Yet he tells them, let there be among you a community. Let there be among you an ummah. So this is the notion of the community within the community. Okay, so we start with that. And I'm going to come back to these with a few more details. That's first. So there is a context to this specific verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers, let there be a community among you who made these three descriptions, these three traits that you call to the good, you enjoin the right, you forbid the evil, and those are going to be the ones who are prosperous. The context of this verse, by the way, this is six verses before the verse that we mentioned last week. I'm going to come back to it. So it's very close to it. There are a number of verses in Surah Al-Imran. The one we talked about last week was 110. This is 104. I'm going to explain the difference and why I'm mentioning this one secondly. So here the context is that if you look at the verse that is before, this is, as we said, verse number 104. If you were to look at verse 103 and 105, the verse that is before and the verse that is after, you will see that there is a theme here. And the theme is that of unity. Verse 103, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاَعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا وَاذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا And the verse continues. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in 103, the previous verse, And hold firmly to the rope of God, and do not be divided, and remember the blessing of God upon you when you were enemies, and he harmonized. The translators usually say, and he, he united or he joined. But the Quran says, He harmonized 
all of your hearts together such that you became through his blessing brothers فاصبحتم بنعمته اخوانا okay so the verse begins with واعتصموا hold on tightly واعتصموا بحبل الله there's only one rope coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of you hold on tightly to that rope and do not be divided okay that's the theme and then the verse says this is 105 this is 104 the one we recited and let there be among you a community with the three traits and then 105 continues وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ And do not be like those who became divided and who deferred after clear proofs came to them. And those are the ones who shall have a great punishment. Okay, so the general theme, 103, 4, 5, the general theme is unity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the importance of staying together, staying as one, one unit, one community. Don't be divided, don't create groups, and so on and so forth. So here, within that, the verse in the middle says, and let there be among you a community who calls to the good, who enjoins the right, and who forbids evil. So here we have to ask the question, what is the relationship between this unity? What's the link? Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala insert this verse about a community within the community that has these traits when he was talking about unity? What does this have to do with unity? That you now call to the good, you command the right, and you forbid the wrong. So clearly we have to see that there is a link. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying, if this group does not emerge within your community, a group that calls to the good, that commands others to what is right and forbids what is wrong, then that unity of yours is never going to exist or it's in grave danger of ceasing to exist, if it does exist. This becomes a condition for the unity to be there. If you are not able to create a community within the community to meet this description, then you are no longer going to have the unity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed you with. He said this is an impossible unity, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought your hearts together. Through His blessing, you became brothers when you were enemies not long ago. This doesn't apply, by the way, just to the people living at the time of the Prophet. This is to every community. If these people with such contradictory values and backgrounds and aims and objectives and attitudes and personalities, all of us, are able to coexist and to work together, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's through a blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has imposed on you. But for that to remain in effect, you have to make sure that those conditions are met within the community. There has to be some of you who call others to good, who enjoin, who command the right, who forbid the wrong, otherwise that unity is no longer going to exist. Okay, this is how this verse is inserted into the two others. And of course, if you were to go to the other verses beyond that, I don't have time to do this now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to the believers, telling them, and there are some of you who do listen to the hypocrites, and the hypocrites are among you. 
and there are enemies all around you who are just waiting for you to fail, to fall, to make a mistake. So you're surrounded by dangers, and some of the dangers are internal, and some of the dangers are external, and they're everywhere. So the disunity may come by itself, just because people are people, you're individuals coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, and because you have hypocrites from within you, you have dangers within your communities, and you have dangers coming from outside of the community, and all of that requires some sort of counter-attack, a counter-effect. And this is ensured by this group, this internal group. So if it's not there, then that unity will fail, and you will, you will no longer be one. And you will have wasted a blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I gave you that blessing. I brought you together. I united your hearts in harmony. Don't waste that. And the way to ensure that this is not wasted is to create that internal community. Let there be a community among you, a group among you. The next point related to this verse. Clearly, the verse is saying, those who are calling to the good, enjoining the right, forbidding the wrong, this is a special group. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to all the believers. He's not only talking to them. In fact, he does not even address that group directly. He talks to the believers, telling them, in general, the greater ummah, in general, saying, make sure that that group emerges, is there, doing its work. So in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is holding everyone accountable. It's not only that group that is accountable and responsible. Everyone who belongs to the greater ummah is responsible to ensure that that group is there, doing its work. Everyone has a role to play. And this opens the door to the whole discussion around what is wajib kifai and wajib aini. A collective duty and an individual duty. And we've talked about this in the past. Wajib kifai means that there is something obligatory upon the believers. It needs to be dealt with. Someone has to step up and deal with it. So long as no one has stepped up and dealt with it in a satisfactory way, everyone is held accountable. It's as though no one did their duty. And we've given the simple example. If someone comes in a room and they say, Salamun alaykum. In our fiqh, it's obligatory to answer. The Quran is unequivocal. وَإِنْ حُيِّيْتُمْ بِتَحِيَّةٍ فَحَيُّوا بِأَحْسَنَ مِنْهَا أَوْ رُدُّوهَا When you are saluted with a greeting, then answer with a better greeting or at least respond with a similar greeting. Even That's why our scholars say, even if you are performing a prayer, you're standing to pray and there is no one else to answer. If no one answers when this person said salam, then everyone is held accountable. It's as though everyone did not respond and everyone has committed a sin. The shortcoming falls on everyone. Let's say we're 20, 50, 200. Now everyone is responsible. Other situation, the person enters and they say salam, one person answers. Wa alaykum as salam. That's it. 
the duty has now fallen off the shoulders of everyone, the entire group, because one person responded. That's wajib kifai. When someone steps up and performs the required duty in a satisfactory way, they've relieved everyone else from that duty. So when the Holy Quran is saying in this case, let there be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, let there be among you a community, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Let there be among you a community who meets this description. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to all the believers, so long as this community does not emerge and is not performing its duty in a satisfactory way, we're all accountable. We are all responsible of performing this work. Someone has to step up and do it in a satisfactory way. Maybe in some cases it might be one person. That might be enough. It has to be a satisfactory way. So that we can say as a community, this duty has been dealt with. We've observed this commandment. But how many does it take? To what extent should it be done? We have to be sure that we have relieved ourselves of this duty, of this responsibility. And there could be a lot of thinking and a lot of discussion and a lot of studying and a lot of pondering to see what that actually means in every situation, for every community. Right? This changes from one community to another. And so therefore, if we're saying that everyone is responsible until we have ensured that as a community we've relieved ourselves of this duty, it means that everyone has to find a way to contribute to this. If you can actually be the ones who step up and become that community that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing, the community within, you take on that task, great, good for you. If not, what are you doing to at least enable this, to allow this community to emerge? We have to do something to say at least we've done our part to ensure that this community emerges. We may be successful, we may not be. But at least we've done our share. We've contributed positively to creating this community within the community. The next notion related to perhaps this is that the verse seems to be calling for expertise and specialization. This is one example. We're going to see another one soon. We're still in the general foundations and then we will seal the deal with the specific community we're talking about, which is a community of knowledge. Here this is a community that does Amr bil Ma'roof, Nahi anil Munkar, and those who call towards the good. In these cases, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seems to be saying, I want some of you to become experts. It's not enough to be generalists. It's okay for the majority to be generalists in the majority of things. But for all of the crucial, important aspects that we need the community to continue to exist and to be active in, you need experts. You need specialists. You need people who are dedicated to this task so that they do it at a high level of competence. Just like in a society, you don't want anyone to just become you know, an enforcer of the law. Everybody just decides. We need protection 
I volunteer to become a police officer. It's not as simple as that. This is going to lead to chaos. We need a bit of consistency. We need to know how we're working, to think about it, to make sure that it's done in the best way. And as life progresses and societies become even more and more complex, you need more and more rigor around this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, from all of you, yes, you are all responsible, and I want all of you to do your share, but I want some of you to dedicate yourselves to this task, to become professionals in this, specialists. You know what you're doing when you're performing these, this role. It's not just random. Anyone just steps in and does it however they feel like. There's perhaps knowledge, expertise, experience that you can benefit from. Instead of repeating the same mistakes everyone else has done, you learn from those mistakes and you start and you become a professional quickly. So all of that we can extract from the verse. The result from all of this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and that group, and that's very interesting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to the believers, all the believers. He says, let there be a community from among you who are going to meet these three conditions. And then he says, We have to all participate and contribute where we can to create that internal community within our community that takes all of this on. And the end result, everyone benefits. And we're going to see that in the next verse as well. Everyone benefits. But the true winners and the ones who were truly prosperous at the end of all of this are the ones who put themselves on the line. They are the ones who are the true winners. We would think the Holy Quran is, would say all the believers are the true winners. No. The Quran is making a distinction here. There are those who enabled, as a minimum they enabled, because to do less would fall in sin. We all have a responsibility to at least enable, to at least encourage and contribute so that some of us emerge and perform this work. Whatever that may be, each to our own capacity. But at the end, the Quran says, and it's those who have emerged as a group, they are the ones who are truly prosperous. You've simply enabled them, but they're the ones getting the lion's share of the rewards, not the ones who enabled it. Why not everyone? So when the Qur'an is saying that there is a group among us who should emerge in this way, and we started to touch on this. So beyond the fact that we don't want to create chaos, and we want consistency, and we want to continue to be productive and an effective community, as an individual, if you try to do good in society, you will always be limited. And this is something that is clearly felt, clearly experienced by anyone who wants to do any sort of real work in society, any social work in society. If you compare the efforts of a person working individually versus a group of people working collectively, which today we call organizations, there is no way to compare the two. The ability that you have when you bring different people together, 
and you put some sort of organization to it and all of these people are moving together towards a common goal, you don't just multiply the efforts of the individual. You create something much beyond what every individual can do on their own. It's not just the sum of what those energies are. The growth is exponential and the progress is going to be exponential. Your ability to mature as an organization, to learn and to grow and to bring other people so that it's no longer about the person, it's about a value and whoever can contribute to it. It doesn't become a personal thing. So that if one person leaves, the whole thing crumbles. And this is, by the way, a huge weakness in our communities. We haven't yet mastered the ability to work as organizations. We have incredible individual work but not organizational work. Organizational work is hit and miss. It depends on the organizations, it depends how they are being run, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of work to be done there. I see the seeds of these ideas, all of them contained in the Quran, from the earliest beginnings. And this is exactly how the Holy Prophet structured his society. From the time of especially Medina al-Munawwara, in fact it was the case even in Mecca, the Holy Prophet would appoint people to specific tasks. They are dedicated. They become the professionals in a field. It's not willy-nilly. Everyone who is a Muslim is of the same ability and is going to be given the same responsibility. No. People dif have different abilities, different backgrounds, different interests. He uses each of them to their best ability in the best spot and need for that society. And he brings them together and forces them to work together. Today we would say he created organizations. There's always clear leadership. There's a lot, always clear conditions for people to come together. What is considered to be a threshold of competence to be part of that group or not. All of that existed from the earliest beginnings. Unfortunately today we keep going back to square one when all of that is clearly contained in our religion. The difference between this verse and the verse 110 that we talked about last week. We said it's six verses later. The verse we mentioned last week was kind of giving a description. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. You are the best community to come forth to the people, to humankind. This verse that we're talking about says, And let there be among you a community. Verse 110 is open to a few interpretations. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really mean? And we talked about a few last week. It could mean a matter of prophecy. In the future, you will be the best of people. It could mean that you are the most suited to become the best of people if you meet these conditions. We talked about these different interpretations. This verse, so the other one is open to interpretation. This verse is very clear. Let there be a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us an order. This is a commandment. This is not a luxury. It's not 
if we feel like it, if we want to be, you know, next level community, then maybe we should look at this luxury that we can add, a nice to have as a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying it that way. He's saying, and let there be among you. You are a community of believers. There has to be among you a community within you. There's a community within your greater community that will meet this description. And that's why we said this verse has a different tone. Everybody has to participate in this. This is a responsibility over everyone in the greater community to ensure that this is going to be the case. The, as we said, this one, we mentioned it quickly, I don't want to dwell on it, and at the end, the great distinction is going to the ones who are going to be on the front line and be part of that community, even though the responsibility falls on the shoulders of everyone. We all have to contribute to this, but the ones getting the greater reward, so of course there's a huge encouragement in this, to be part of the smaller community, to be part of the community within, the ones who are on the front line doing this work. Don't be on the sidelines enabling, maybe actively, maybe passively. Be in the middle of the action. Go to the front lines and be the ones who take this on. So in any case, conclusion from this, inshallah after this verse and the ones we've already covered, that there is no more doubt that the Qur'an calls for creating communities within the greater community. Okay, that's what we're trying to establish here with these examples. And so when we say that, here, very clearly the Qur'an said, and everyone is responsible. When you are part of the greater community, you are responsible for that smaller community to emerge and to meet the need to do, to 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 observe the responsibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see fulfilled. And then finally, the last verse related to this topic that we want to talk about. Again, a very famous verse. It would be very easy to have a whole series of lectures just on this verse. And in fact, some scholars have entire series of lectures on this. This is the verse in Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 122, very end of Surah At-Tawbah, a few verses before the end. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ لِيَنْفِرُوا كَافَةِ فَلَوْلَا نَفَرَ مِنْ كُلِّ فِرْقَةٍ مِّنْهُمْ طَائِفَةِ لِيَتَفَقَّهُ فِي الدِّينِ وَلِيُنْذِرُوا قَوْمَهُمْ إِذَا رَجَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَحْذَرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it is not for the believers to go forth all at once. Okay, We can add a lot in the commentary, and we will, inshallah, enough to make this clear. I want to keep it ambiguous, just as the, Arab is, the Arabic is, is stated that way. It is not for the believers to go forth all at once. Why shouldn't, therefore, a party from each group go forth in order to acquire deep understanding in religion and then to warn their people when they return to them so that perhaps they will be aware, they will be careful. 
So I'll repeat the verse and then we'll say a few comments. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, it is not for the believers to go forth all at once. So why shouldn't a party from each group go forth in order to acquire deep understanding in religion and warn their people when they return to them so that perhaps they will beware, so that perhaps they are careful. So first, clearly in this verse, we are talking about a community within a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, all the believers should not all be going forth at once. I'm going to say what the commentators have said about this. Go where? Lienfiru is to see a huge mass movement, and kafa means without exception. So everyone moving together as a mass. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is not necessary. I don't want to see all the believers moving all at once in this way. In what way? The majority of the commentators, and you see that clearly when you read the translations, they interpreted this as meaning when the Holy Prophet needs people to join a battle. But the verse is not talking about anything related to battles. The verse makes it very clear what it's talking about. But they focus too much on the terms and how they are usually used in Arabic. This nafir and the general tone in a lot of the verses in Surah At-Tawbah. And so they deduced or considered implied here that the verse is talking about joining the Holy Prophet, for instance, in a military expedition. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them, you don't all of you need to be joining every single expedition, all of you all together. Okay, so first the idea that from every group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I want to see a small party go forth. So that's a community within the community. And then he tells us what the responsibilities of that smaller party is that they are going to acquire a deep understanding of religion and then return to their people and warn them so that they are going to be careful. That's their responsibility. So there's certainly one specific group in a larger group that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says is to go and perform this work and come back and fulfill a certain duty. Again, and we could spend a lot of time on this, and here it's even clearer than before, the idea of expertise and specialization. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is talking about a deep understanding in religion. We said this word fiqh, today we don't use it the way that it was used when the Qur'an was revealed. Fiqh is not just the laws of religion. It's a deep understanding of anything. Tafaqquh is to acquire a deep understanding of anything. But now as a term, a deep understanding of religion. And the Quran says it here. لِيَتَفَقَّهُ فِي So the duty, the work of these people is to go and become specialists in a deep understanding 
technical, deep knowledge in religion. That's two. Three. If this is done properly, everyone benefits. The reason why this has to be done is so that the entire community benefits. The community from which this smaller group was dispatched to do this role benefits from this activity. The next point, nafara. Laula nafara. Ma kana al-mu'minuna liyanfiru. To go forth. Here we can add a few details around this, this wording or the choice of the Qur'an to use this word. Yes, it could have been used for a military expedition. That's why you see in some translations they say to march. To march all at once. As though they are a battalion or they are a, an army. But when you see that the verse says, so let there only be one group among them to go there and to acquire a deep understanding of religion, then this has nothing to do with a military expedition. The second point related to this, which works for both a military expedition and perhaps much more, because this is relevant to us in the case of knowledge, is that this word, this term in Arabic, is usually used when you're doing something that you don't really want to be doing. There's something either scary or distasteful that you have to fight yourself and still go do. And that's why we say in Arabic, for instance, nufur or nafra. There's something that is repulsive, for instance. It's the same term. So there is something they can, that can cause that feeling of repulsiveness in Arabic. You can use the term in two ways. It depends on what comes before and after the word. Nafara min and nafara ila. Nafara min is there is something repulsive. You are repulsed from something. Nafara ila is you're escaping that towards something desirable. You're leaving what is repulsive behind. The verse uses it in the second way. It doesn't tell us what's repulsive, what's distasteful, what's difficult. It just says, it's not for all the believers to leave behind. It doesn't say what? To leave behind or to go forth. To, to go forth doesn't do justice to the Arabic term. And then the second time it says it, فَلَوْلَا نَفَرَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَرْقَةٍ مِنْهُمْ and there's first, we would say, so what are they leaving behind and what are they going towards? In short, they are going towards the Holy Prophet. The Quran, at the time that this was being revealed, is telling the Muslims, not all of you need to leave your lands and come to the Holy Prophet. That's the meaning of the verse. It's not talking about whether the Holy Prophet has a military expedition or not. It's not everyone has to leave their lands and come to the Holy Prophet to learn this religion. From every community, from every society, from every group of you, if you were to choose a few of you to come and become specialists in religion, then those people would go back to their own communities to warn their people so that their people be careful.
they don't fall into the dangers and the risks. So the movement is towards the Holy Prophet to the source of Islamic knowledge, away from ignorance. And is this action easy? No. You're leaving your lands behind, your families behind, your life behind, and you're not going to do something fun. You're going to have to become a learner to sacrifice a part of your life just doing this. So of course there's something difficult, there's hardship, distasteful, that human beings don't really enjoy usually. That's why the Qur'an uses this term. Once again, a reminder, perhaps of, therefore, why the great benefits of becoming a learner and a scholar in Islam. Because it's not easy. It's a lot of hard work. You're sacrificing your time and your energy and your money and your life towards acquiring this knowledge so that your people may benefit while they are enjoying other aspects of life. But hence, this is why you get those rewards and they don't. Okay, so inshallah, this is simply to clarify this part of the verse because sometimes there is a whole discussion around this and it seems to concentrate on the dimension that is not the point of the verse. The point of the verse has to do with knowledge and acquiring knowledge. And there's a whole discussion, in fact, that we can extract from this around the whole idea of traveling in Islam. Should you be traveling or not? What should you travel towards and away from? And the main criteria is, in general, Islam is indifferent to you traveling. Except if it has to do with your religion. So if you are moving away from religious ignorance towards the source of religious knowledge, meaning that your faith will be better, will be stronger, you will be better warned, you will be more aware and careful, then that's a good movement. That's a blessed travel. There's a religious dimension to this travel. And the opposite is true. The opposite is considered, by the way, the opposite is considered one of the cardinal sins in our religion. We have many narrations that talk about a notion just mentioned in the Ruayat. But it's listed with the cardinal sins. It's listed with, you know, someone killing someone, someone drinking alcohol and wine, some adultery, and at-ta'arrub ba'd al-hijrah. This term, technical term, mentioned in this way in the Ruayat. At-ta'arrub ba'd al-hijrah. At-ta'arrub means to become an Arabi. You have to remember the context in which this terminology was used. The Arab at the time of the Holy Prophet are the nomads who live outside the city. They don't have any access to the Holy Prophet They don't have access to religious knowledge. So after the hijrah of the Holy Prophet, there's no more excuse. If you want to know your religion, you go to the Medina to learn, or you send someone to the Medina to learn. If you want to leave all of that behind and go and live in the middle of the desert, cut off from the sources of knowledge so that you know nothing of the affairs of the Muslims and nothing of what you need to perform your religious duties, 
and you haven't learned religion enough yet to do that, then this is considered a cardinal sin in our religion. We have a hadith from the Holy Prophet in his time, Imam Ali salam, in his time he talks about this. In fact, I will just leave that as a hint for those of you who, who know your history. Go back to the life of the great companion Abu Dhar. At the time of Uthman, Uthman wanted to get rid of him. So he exiled him towards Sham. And the people of Sham complained. They wrote to Uthman that he, he's causing too much chaos and too many problems for us here. And the only sin and the only problem, the only issue with Abu Dhar is as it was during the time of the Holy Prophet He became a Muslim at a time when it was very difficult to be a Muslim. And the Holy Prophet told him as soon as he entered into this religion, he told him, go and stay put and wait for my instructions. He told him, no way. Now that I know this truth, I will call everyone to it. How can I keep this to myself? And the Holy Prophet told him, you don't need to do this. You're putting your life in grave danger. He said, so be it. What's the problem? And so he would stand in the middle of the market in Mecca, and he would call people to the Holy Prophet, and they would beat him up to almost to the point of death. And he would faint, lose consciousness, and he would be brought back, and he would heal enough, and he would go and do it again. That, those were the beginnings of Abu Dhar. And this continued for years. He went to his tribe. Many of them were considered to be the pirates of the Arabian Peninsula. He went to his tribe and he came back to the Holy Prophet and all of them were Muslims. All of them entered Islam through him. He never stopped doing that kind of work. If he knew truth, he would preach it, he would declare it, he would make everyone aware of it in his own way. And this became very problematic in the time of Uthman. He didn't know what to do with him anymore. So at the end, when he brought him the last time, he told him, Abu Dhar started to ask him, where do you want me to go? Are you going to send me back to Sham? To Syria? He said, no, you just came from there and I can't stand to st send you back there again. It's like, will you send me to Iraq? Is no way. Will you send me to Egypt? Absolutely not. He told him, where do you want me to go? He told him, go towards the desert. Go outside in the desert. So Abu Dhar said the word. He said, so you are forcing me to do ta'arrub ba'd al-hijrah? So this is well known. You're forcing me to become a Arabi after the hijrah of the Prophet, after the migration of the Prophet. This is not to be done. He told him, go and do not go beyond the Rabada, a point in the middle of the desert with absolutely nothing and no one. And he remained there. And he forbade anyone from accompanying him when he was exiled. He said, no one is to come out and bid farewell to Abu Dhar. And Imam Ali salam came out, and Imam al-Hassan, Imam al-Hussein, they came out and they bid farewell. And they each of them gave a small sermon to Abu Dhar and then Abu Dhar left. And he died of hunger in the middle of the desert, in Rabad. 
And he was found later by the companions of Imam Ali salam. And they took his daughter who was alone with him. They took her back to the city. So in any case, this term, التعرب بعد الهجرة, is well known. And it has everything to do with, are you moving towards the sources of knowledge or away from the sources of knowledge? Is your faith and your knowledge so unshakable that you can withstand to be put in any environment and not be affected by it and not be influenced by it when you're there? If that's the case, go ahead. But if you have any doubt that the new environment might impact your faith, your belief negatively, this is considered a sin. You can't go to a place where you feel like your faith, your belief, or that of your family, the people you're responsible for, is going to be weaker. If that's the case, this is considered forbidden travel. This is the notion, and this is where it comes from. If you go back to the fatawa, this is very clear. And the origin of it is from the time of the Holy Prophet A couple of other points related to this ayah. You moved a lot slower today than I wanted. So we'll wrap it up after this verse inshallah. And there's a lot of topics in, in this verse. One of the topics in this verse very clearly is perhaps a reminder. And this is again if we're thinking about how to build our communities, that we should not be imposing on everyone in the community everything. Not everything that needs to be done needs to be done by everyone. When this is done well, you will have enough people who are stepping up to every task that needs to be done. So that... Not everyone is doing everything. And this is clear from this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, not all of the believers need to go to the Holy Prophet to learn. This is about tafaqquh. Tafaqquh is absolutely necessary in a community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, not everyone needs to do it. I need to make sure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that in every community there are enough specialists that you can refer to in that area of expertise and specialization. So that the community in general is warned, is kept informed about religious knowledge. They know what they're doing. And they avoid the pitfalls and they avoid the risks and the dangers associated with their faith and their belief. That's all that's required. But we can generalize this to every other aspect of life. And so this becomes, or has to become, one way for us to manage our communities. Not everyone needs to be doing everything. Let's create specialization and become much more effective in this way. Dedicate time and resources and effort appropriately so that everything is dealt with by enough people. The next point, practically speaking, the way the verse is said, even though it doesn't say it explicitly in its wording, I think it should be understood that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the community, you choose, you select 
Who is most suited for this task in your community? Today the world has changed, but some of this is still the same. If we have a religious need in the community, or any other need, something like religion, we know is going to take a lot of effort, dedication, energy, and we understand the complexity of today's world, we can't just choose anyone for this task. This is something as a community that we need to, th to be thinking about. What are we looking for so that this works out in this way for our community? We need to be choosing the best of the best, the most suited to perform this task in this way. If I wanted as a community to choose someone to be the doctor in my community, the lawyer in my community, the electrician in my community, the police officer in my community, I'm sure that in each one of these cases, I have certain characteristics that I have in mind, certain traits, and a lot of this might become clear from a pretty young age, especially if the entire community is making an effort in this direction. We're looking for certain things. So that perhaps in one case, you can have someone being able to achieve the status we're looking for in three years as opposed to 12. Or to go at a much higher level of competence than someone else because of their background, their personal suitability, their profile, their history, whatever it may be. So this is an additional responsibility that the community should take on. Who should be performing this role? What are we looking for? And inshallah, we're going to come back to this next question later. And how do we support them? Because this person now is going to be our representative. This is our delegate. This is who we are dispatching as a community. If we are acting based on the teachings of this verse. It's no longer an individual effort. It's not that I'm interested in a religion. If I am, that's great. That's for me. No one is preventing me from being interested. But as a community, do we also not want to do something to move in this direction? The next point. And this one would require a very lengthy discussion too. But very quickly. There is how things work out in the real world. And then there's the Quranic way. I'll just say that. And I say the Quranic way is not for us as a community to sit here and wait for complete strangers to our community to come from elsewhere and to teach us the matters of religion. This is not the Quranic way. If out of necessity we have to do that, we have to do that. We have to gain and get and acquire our religious understanding from somewhere. But this is not the Quranic way. The Quran says, the person who teaches you your religion is someone from within your own community who knows your life intimately because they belong to your community. They understand your realities. They come from your background. They're not come, coming from elsewhere. 
It might take them five, ten years to understand what you're talking about. No, they are from within your community. They left to get enough religious knowledge, expertise, specialization, and then to come back, the Quran says, to come back to warn their people when they return to them. Now, if there's absolutely no one performing this, then of course we have to dispatch constantly to different people, those who are specialists, but they will never be able to meet the needs of that community in the way that the person who comes from the community would meet it. They are the one who understand, who know the background, who know what you're dealing with. If they have enough knowledge, they know how to structure that religious knowledge in a way that meets the needs of that specific community. It's not coming from the outside. So, I'll just continue to the next point. This person who comes back, the Quran says they are playing an active role. The how may be left to you as a religious expert, but it cannot be completely passive. You have to play a very active role in what the Quran referred to as warning the people or teaching religion. You can't just wait for you know, random questions to emerge from time to time and then you answer them. And you consider that to be doing your, fulfilling your religious duty. That's not enough. The Quran says you went, you learned religion when you come back. If you're performing this role, if you're playing this role in the community, you are performing the role of the warner. You are warning the people. And I'm going to come back. I will end with that point. Why warning? But the person is doing something. They're not waiting passively for others to come to them and to reach out. That's okay too. In certain cases, you have to reach out. You seek knowledge. You find it as a person who needs it. But as a person who has it, the person who has it has to be the one pushing it out. Sharing it. Teaching it. Spreading it. So that's a before last point and then the last point. The last point is the Quran didn't talk about all of the other duties. It said this person is going to acquire a deep understanding in religion so that they do one thing. When they return to their people so that they warn their people. Indar is a warning. The Holy Quran says there are two main tasks to the prophets, messengers, people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends and the scriptures that he sends to humanity. They perform two main tasks apart from guidance in general. The tasks are to warn and to give good news. You warn from the dangers so that people don't end up in hell and you give good news that if you do good you go to heaven. The carrot and the stick. Hell and heaven. Nadiran wa bashira. That's the bashir, is the glad tidings. The happy news. You do good, you get good. That's half. 
The other half is, you do bad, you get bad. Here, the verse did not say, this person who now has acquired a lot of religious knowledge is doing both. It used only one term. All they're doing is warning. So what happens to the glad tidings? What happened to the good news? If you have to choose between one or the other, if there is not enough time, there are not enough resources, there's not enough capacity, if you have to do one of two things, do you give glad tidings or do you warn? You warn. If you have to choose one of the two, then certainly you have to always choose warning. Because warning is related to danger. There's no point in doing good if you're in the middle of the danger. Or you're completely going in the wrong direction. I have to show you where all the pitfalls are. Where all the dangers are. Anything that comes with a risk. My job is to tell you, here's a risk here, here's a mine there, here's a danger here. Avoid this, avoid this, avoid that. That's a minimum. Beyond that, that's a bonus. That's great. This is the nice to have. I'll add this to you. But first, we have to ensure that you're not falling into any fatal dangers. And this is perhaps another indication that when someone is truly knowledgeable and they know what they're doing and they know how they're using their knowledge, that it has to start with this. If I am someone who now understands enough of religion that I can teach it to others, if I can bring it and share it and disseminate it to others, I have to first start by saying what are the dangerous people are dealing with? Not the nice-to-haves. There's a lot of nice-to-haves. But I have to start with the dangers. What are the dangers that they're dealing with? Are they true dangers? Do they know how to deal with them? Are they well-equipped or not? If not, this is what I have to focus on. This has to be my priority. And then I'll get to the nice-to-haves, to the glad tidings. But I have to start with the warnings. I have to start by saying, danger, danger, danger. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Hell, hell, hell. Let's avoid hell first, and then we'll work on acquiring higher and higher levels of heaven, which are one and the same. But the way it is done starts with pushing away the dangers, getting rid of the dangers, ensuring that people are now safe, in their belief, in their thinking, in their attitudes, in their general culture, outlook in life, so on and so forth. And then I add the rest to it. And this can also become, therefore, me, individually and as a community. As a community, I have to prioritize the dangers. I have to have some sort of vision and plan. Strategically, I have to think, where are we going as a community? Where would we like to go? First, how do we avoid the dangers? And then, what else can we do? What are the dangers we're facing? Which means that it's not just enough for me to know what's in the Holy Quran and what is in the books that were written 500 years ago. I have to understand society today. What are the dangers? 
the ideological belief, value, dangers that people are facing and how do I deal with them? This is what's required from the person who carries knowledge. So they're constantly on the lookout for this, studying this. They understand the culture. They understand day-to-day -day life and they react to it. And as a community, we have to do this when we're planning for the community. Where do we focus? What do we need? How do we deal with this? And even for myself, whether it's individually, whether it's in my family, I have to start with not the nice-to-haves in religion. I have to start with what are the dangers I'm dealing with right now? Get rid of the dangers. Be safe. Once those are out of the way, now I work on the nice-to-haves. And the same thing for my family, those who are close to me, those who are under my responsibility. What are the dangers and how do I deal with them? Get rid of the dangers and then we work on the nice-to-haves. Inshallah, we'll continue with this. We ended this, uh, this title or this heading, inshallah. Next, we will talk about, but I'll stop here. Next, we will, inshallah, talk about, so who belongs to this community? Who makes up the community of knowledge now that we have established that the collective dimension in Islam is important, that there are communities within the community, that one of the communities within the community is specifically around knowledge and people going to learn knowledge and coming back and teaching knowledge, spreading knowledge. So what does this community look like? Starting with who belongs to it? Who is part of this community? At least two members should have been clear by now because we spent so many lectures on them. We spoke about the learner and we spoke about the teacher. <laughs> Who else belongs to this community of knowledge? So inshallah, this is where we'll take off next time that we meet.